I'm here with Dr. Gary Gregg, a good friend. Thanks for joining us, Gary. Tell us about your practice. Sure, it's a private practice, um, maybe about 20 minutes east of your church here and um, in the Brookfield area, Elm Grove. I've been in, in private practice since 2000 now. And um, if I had to break down my practice, Ben, I think it would be about a third adolescents and their families, um, another third individuals with various issues, and then a little bit more lately, uh, marriage counseling. Um, we do work with, with churches, premarital counseling, some training of staff. Uh, we also have a nurse practitioner who, who is helpful with medication, prescription, and um, um, uh, monitoring the medication for patients. So a little over a year ago, this pandemic started and has shut down many things. How has the pandemic affected relationships and mental health? Absolutely. Um, the, the pandemic has increased everybody's stress level, right? Um, in many ways, uh, financial, most certainly. Um, and I think of families, Ben, with particularly how school has been rolled out and changed um, almost, you know, weekly at times when it was at its worst, whether it was live or it was going to be home or uh, no school at all. And one of the things we know about stress, Ben, is we all can manage high levels of stress beyond what we can imagine, but the debilitating and painful aspects of stress is its chronic nature. And so I would say a 12-month and counting pandemic would certainly count as a chronic level of stress. Um, the uh, ways that people generally in a healthy manner manage stress have been unavailable. Uh, one of the things that I believe is that needs that produce the most meaning and purpose in life are intended to be met in relationships. Our, our worldview would say ultimately with God. And in many ways, access to these relationships has been so limited. And just because these core needs, relational needs to be seen and to be loved and be touched and to be known and valued, affirmed, just because they're not being met, they don't just go away. So what, that, what happens is we tend to turn to things temporary and inadequate to make those, the pain of that real need go away. Uh, for example, I use a metaphor of hunger. If you are hungry and you don't eat a healthy meal, so you grab a bag of chips and a soda, uh, most people other than me wouldn't believe you met any nutritional need. <laughs> but um, what we actually did there was dull the pain of the hunger. We didn't really meet the need. So whether we, you know, eat it, drink it, avoid it, shop it, gamble it, um, isolate, all these things are ways people have tried to manage the stress and not having access to the healthy things that we used to manage stress. So to help people, to help us with our relationships, we're doing this series called Emotionally Healthy Relationships. I wanted to ask you, what do you see as the connection between spiritual maturity and emotional maturity? What I would say on that, Ben, is I think sometimes Christians, uh, I would say, take a shortcut 
to emotional maturity. I think when we, we accept Christ, you know, we, we think that we should somehow be declared emotionally healthy as well at that point, not just spiritually. And I realized, you know, when I became a believer in, in high school, you know, things like even my golf game didn't get better automatically. So things like our relationships, um, we shouldn't necessarily assume. Um, and it takes a lot of hard work, even our spiritual life takes a lot of hard work. And so um, one of the things that uh, uh, I think secular psychology, where we might different in our worldview here, is that they might think emotional health is um, pursuing happiness. And I think in our worldview, perhaps it's more of the pursuit of joy. Um, happiness is really dependent on our feelings and circumstances, many of which we don't have control over. So in an attempt to gain that happiness, we keep changing our circumstances. And joy is something that isn't dependent on our feelings and circumstances. In fact, I think it's more the connection then between the spiritual maturity and emotional maturity is um, truly experiencing God's love for us and living in such a way that we then can communicate that same love to others. Sometimes people, even one of the questions I was thinking about, Ben, was what's the connection between loving God and loving others? When in actuality, I think it's more the connection of loving others is our ability and capacity to experience God's love to us. Once we can do that, then I think there's an acceptance of ourselves. There's a want for others to be okay with us, not a need for that. So we're free to be who God created each of us to be individually. Um, so I see that as the freedom we have in Christ then to be who we are because we don't have to abandon ourselves to conform to somebody to make a connection. Uh, when does somebody need to seek professional help? Yeah, a couple thoughts on that, Ben. The, um, when, whenever, I think an obvious one is, what, by the time somebody comes and sees someone like me, they've tried to work and fix their problem in every which way under the sun, then go maybe talk to a stranger about their personal life, right? So one of the things, sadly, is people wait, I believe, way too long to go seek help, right? So if they can be honest with themselves and say, listen, everything I am attempting to do isn't helping. In fact, maybe things are getting worse. Um, so some honesty with ourselves is helpful. Um, when we would see in ourselves or we'd see in others that there's a significant decline in functioning. And uh, let's say if it's a, a child, they're getting reports from coaches and teachers and they're not just seeing it in the home. So the feedback they're getting from other people in their life, maybe a friend's parent says, hey, everything okay with you know, little Jimmy because he doesn't seem himself or he got in a fight with my son or something, right? And so it's things out of character 
um, is something to pay attention to. That multiple contexts when we see issues um, is probably a significant factor as well, not just in one area. Um, obviously, if there's any alcohol or drug use, uh, most of us aren't trained alcohol and drug counselors. Even in my practice, Ben, I'm not a drug and alcohol counselor, so if there's a pretty strong addiction, um, I would refer them to an alcohol and drug counselor, um, and then they'd come back and, and we'd uh, work things through. Um, if there's danger to self or others is a real obvious one as well. Um, a couple for people who are helping others, if, if you, we sense the problem is beyond our expertise or knowledge, um, if you brought me your car, uh, I'd love to help you, Ben, but I, I, I don't know anything about them, and so it's beyond my pay grade, right? So I think when we recognize, listen, I, I want to help, but we realize just being there and being a good listener and the things you're hearing. And usually we can tell because inside ourselves we're getting anxious, right? We're, we're realizing, well, I, th this is beyond me. Um, and the, one of the most loving things we can do is refer people on to get good help. Um, and if the demands of the situation just exceed our role, um, I imagine, Ben, you and other pastors could spend almost their whole week counseling people. And yet the boundaries and the balance that's necessary for you to function in the role that you have. And so everybody else who might have people reaching out to them and yet they have their own jobs and their own families and they're finding they're losing balance because sometimes these people can be uh, pretty needy and need often need someone to talk to. So just kind of trusting your own sense of your experience with that person should be a good guide whether to refer. Relationships are a big part of all of our lives. Any relationship advice that you, that's a favorite advice or especially helpful that you could share with us? Sure. Um, I'll, I'll list them for you. And if we have any time to unpack them, we will. But sure. um, uh, probably over the 35 years of doing this. Um, these are some of the high points. Um, forgive, important forgiveness. Being intentional about relationship. Being willing to address how our past influences our current relationships. Communicate the want of the relationship, not just the willingness to fulfill our obligation to each other. Um, being part of a community is quite necessary. Um, working on our friendship, even within our marriages, and learning to accept ourselves and others. Uh, and two more would be, um, I mentioned earlier, I, I, I wanna know the difference between wanting people to be okay with me and needing them to be okay with me. And then the difference between being responsible to others versus responsible for others. What do you mean when you say the want of the relationship? You know, sometimes uh, we'll get a text from a friend, right? And they'll say, well, Ben, it's been a while. We should get together. And you might look at it and go, oh, gosh, I, I suppose by definition we're friends. I should probably fulfill that <laughs> obligation, right? And then there's a friend who might say, Ben, it's been a while and you're, oh my gosh, so good to hear from you. I can't wait to get together, right? I often think 
when my wife and I are taking phone calls, you know, and, and if it's a friend, hey, how is it? How you doing? So good to hear from you. But if we call each other during the day, it's like, yeah, it's like, <laughs> you know, wow, we, we would never do that to a friend. Right. And so when you talk to couples about how they met and they, they tell, oh, we were best friends and we spent so much time together and they get this big smile on their face. And so one of the first recommendations I make is for a couple to be intentional about treating each other like they would their best friend. I think spiritually as well, God could have done what he did by sending Christ by just saying it's his responsibility, his obligation. He got the ball rolling. There's a big problem. He should probably fix it. Jesus, come on, let's, let's do this. But right, we know the New Testament spends a great deal of time saying that this God, holy God wants a relationship with us, isn't just fulfilling some obligation to us. And that's deep expression of love. Right. And so that's what we want to extend to others. Um, there's a passage in Ephesians four and it goes by, uh, you know, don't let the sun go down on your anger. And those of us who are married think, well, that's a long night right? <laughs> sometimes. Right. And um, but if you look at what happens, if you let night after night, let that sun go down on that anger, some very destructive things happen relationally like you know, rage, malice, slander. Um, and then it gets to a, a place that's very dangerous relationally. Um, secular counseling might call it unhappiness. In that passage, it calls it contempt. Now, when we have contempt for somebody, we, we've changed what we believe about them. And there, therefore, it allows us to justify how we treat them. And so, that passage ends with, therefore, forgive as the Lord forgave you. So even at night, what I encourage people to do, it's not realistic that we can resolve every issue that we have every night, right? So, but we can say, listen, I, I'm still frustrated. I'm still upset. But you know I love you, right? Right? And I love you too. So now we didn't give the evil one a foothold and we didn't let the sun go down on that anger. So forgiveness. Um, being intentional, I tell people in my office, if, if you forget my name, don't forget the word intentional, because if you're not intentional about these things, they're not going to happen, right? Like anything in our life. The, the priorities to have a great relationship are the same it takes to have, be great in anything in your life, whether it's your hobby, your career. Um, and those principles you could share with me, I'm sure, time, effort, commitment, priority, and investment. Most couples will say, well, no, no couple has said to me, we're knocking those priorities out of the park in our relationship, but we, it's still terrible. They, they recognize they've given it to their career, their kids, their hobby, maybe even their ministry. And so intentionality. Um, I think we've touched on communicating the want of the relationship. Being part of a community, I think, is huge. Um, we, we, we like to call groups like that in accountability groups. I, I'm a bigger fan of uh, looking at them as being in an investment group. Um, 
in an investment, we all have limited time to invest in other people's lives outside of our own family. And if someone's willing to choose me to invest in, I want to honor that investment. I think accountability sounds good, but I'm not sure what that means. If I, you know, don't spend more time with my kids, I, I'm not sure you're going to be able to take my car keys away or something, right? And so the, the, the motivation to me of being invested in seems to be something that people follow through on more. Uh, another one, Ben, is, is working on our friendship. I uh, mentioned that a little bit, but um, we do know by the research in marriage, the, num the number one most salient feature of a great marriage, people report, is that they have a great friendship. And to me, that, that made so much sense. You know, you, we don't get invited to a friend's house and walk in and say, geez, do you guys ever dust around here? <laughs> hey, thanks for having us. What a beautiful home. You know, we're, we're intentional about making these people feel loved and special. And we did that when we were dating. I know that. I've been married 37 years, so <laughs> that can go away just because of life, right? Kids and responsibilities. And, but that's that back to, you know, being intentional about working on our friendship. And one of the other more practical things, and these are probably in a more difficult setting of a relationship, unhealthy relationships, is there's a difference between being responsible to others and being responsible for others. Being responsible for others is when we tend to abandon ourselves because we're worried about how the other person will react, what they'll think, what they'll do. And so if I am intentional about knowing what it means being responsible to you means I'm going to treat you well, I'm going to honor you because of the man I want to be. But I'm not going to abandon myself because I need you to like me or I need you not to be upset with me. Um, because those dynamics then um, lead to very healthy, unhealthy boundaries, unhealthy relationships, and um, a lot of conflict. Oh, that's really good. Great advice. I love that. Really fits with what we're, with what our series is about. Because it's not, you know, when you're talking about friendship, oh, that, that that was dead on. Because you know, the series isn't about marriage, but it is. You know, it's about relationships, and it's about all relationships. So you're kind of saying, I think sometimes we almost separate marriage as this different animal and then your friendships and your relationships are over here and and sure there are differences but you're saying that it's a marriage is a friendship too it's a good marriage is a good friendship so it's kind of one ball they're all relationships aren't they absolutely ben the last one was the acceptance of ourselves and others i i think when we accepted christ we were what was so meaningful to us is that we were told a holy, righteous God accept us as we were, yet a sinner, not, not, too, uh, not too great of something to die for, right? But then from that moment on, we spend the rest of our lives trying to prove our worthiness of that love. And then that rolls into marriages and relationships where we keep critiquing each other about, you know, who we ought to be. And it's like, well, it, 
paradoxically, I think if we come to accept like Christ accepted us, it motivated us to be more of who he wanted us to be. There was freedom to change. Not if we don't change, he'll stop loving us, right? And so I think if we learn to accept each other and then uh, turn that into, um, it's easier to love others at that point. When I see older couples, that one of the things that's real obvious to me is there's just an accept of, acceptance of each other. The quirks, the oddities, the annoying things, right? Um, and there's some intentionality about focusing on what they, you know, are, is good and endearing about them. How does fighting dirty harm relationships? What are some ways to fight cleanly? Mm -hmm. You know, there's a researcher on marriage, um, spent his whole career trying to figure out healthy communication in marriages. And uh, he, he calls the unhealthy, or in this case, fighting dirty, he has, calls them his four horsemen. And uh, it's, they start out where somebody starts criticizing and the criticism is met with some contempt. And if we pummel each other with those two things, the natural reaction or the third horse would be defensiveness. And then the fourth one he calls stonewalling, Ben, where someone just throws in the towel. It's, it's sarcasm, passive aggressive, things like, fine, you're, you're the right one. I'm, I'm the, you never should have married me. You know what, you're, you're the bright one, I'm the dumb one. And it, it, it basically ends any healthy communication. Um, I think a healthier approach, I encourage couples uh, then to, to be able to hear truth from each other. We, the relationship has to be safe and secure because truth's hard to hear sometimes. In fact, sometimes a couple in my office, someone will say something not so lovingly and they'll say, did you hear the tone in his voice? Did you hear how he talks to me, Dr. Greg? That's what I live with. Doesn't the Bible say to speak the truth in love? And I say, yeah, it does. But I haven't yet found the verse that said, if truth's not spoken in love, we get to dismiss truth. I think everyone's, if it doesn't feel good, I get to dismiss it. And I, I think the emphasis should be on truth. It's the only thing available to us to make change. Now, truth's a great communication tip. If truth's hard to hear, why not speak it in love? So that's even for the speaker of truth. I want my truth to be heard. Why would I not speak it in love? If I don't, it's easily dismissed. And the harder part is, am I willing if I believe my, my friend or my spouse loves me and that's why they're sharing this with me. Because when it won't feel like that's true when we're having truth spoken to us sometimes. So I have to override how that feels with what I believe. Kind of when we read scripture, if I don't have a clear view that God loves me, that's a hard book to open up, <laughs> and, right? Because it doesn't feel loving sometimes. So overriding our feelings with what we choose to believe about ourselves and the person speaking truth to us. Thanks so much. Thanks You're for welcome. your time today. You bet. Yeah.